special edition of The Rush, Parker Thune. Did you even know what to look for with White Zombie? Do you even know what that is? I'm going to be honest with you. The only time I've ever heard this song is when I'm driving home in the afternoons and I'm listening to you and Tyler <laughs> open things up. That's the only scenario in which I've ever heard this song played. So oh, that's It's out funny. of my wheelhouse. But, uh, yes, I am not Tyler McComas. For those of you that are tuning in, I have been told, however, that Tyler and I sound very similar. What are your thoughts? Because I've heard this multiple times. So is the complaint that from two to three, it's hard to tell who's talking? Yes. Yes. Many people have said this. Tell Tyler to do the two to three hour uh, show in his Lon Kruger voice. Oh, does he have a Lon Kruger voice? Oh, you've never heard his no, Lon Kruger? No, I haven't. It's Dang. It's perfect it is so spot on he needs to do uh, well he can do one segment as gundy one segment as jerry jones one segment as long kruger i didn't realize he was this good with voices because you know i, I steely is excellent particularly with the howard schnellenberger voice <laughs> right. however tyler just out of nowhere ripped off a mac brown voice last week and i was like dang that's he, good he's got a mac brown what usually happens is I introduce the voice and do it enough to where people know who it is, but it's bad. And then Tyler works on it and perfects it. It's pretty good. Wow. It's, it's so he nicely just, done. He just takes things to a level that you can't, yeah. basically. Which is, I'm I'm happy to uh, to pass those on and let him perfect Yeah, see, it. I, I'm in the same boat. I can only get to a certain point with voices, and I, I, I am no impressionist. Let's put it that way. I, I leave that end of things to Steely. Well, the big news of the day, everyone's talking about it, is the Cleveland Browns situation. Oh, boy. Which, just to say this quickly, um, a lot of people that listen to the show know I say this and say it all the time. There is a reason that this is the best place in the world to do sports radio, <laughs> and that is because Oklahoma is the center of the sports world. It is. It's amazing. I don't know I don't know like the reason behind it, but constantly there's an Oklahoma tie to the biggest story in sports, whether it's Katie going to Golden State, Lincoln Riley going to USC, you know, the Baker Mayfield situation, you know, he's on a Heisman run or Kyler's deal. There's always a tie to Oklahoma. It's fantastic. And Baker Mayfield. Um, He's not coming back. No. no, He's not no, coming no. back. I don't think so. I don't think so. I, the Browns. Here's the thing. I love Baker. I think, he's, I think he's fantastic. I think he's one of the more entertaining athletes I've ever seen. The NFL is is really tough on on guys of his style, you know that um, that are are just wear it on the sleeve a little bit because you get so much pushback and so much hate out there that it just chews you up and it's hard to walk into. Like at Oklahoma, the great thing about Baker Mayfield was it was his locker room and his team from the very beginning and everyone rallied around that it is really really hard to get a locker room behind you in the NFL you got to be you got to be a baller you got to be a stud and Baker's got some really good 
skills and assets, but he's he's got some shortcomings as well whenever it comes to the NFL and the level of talent that you've got to have in that league. So I, it's it's not shocking that Cleveland is is looking around out there. I think Baker, there should be no animosity there between Baker and the fan base. Now, Baker and the organization, they're almost <laughs> there has to be some yeah. animosity at this point because they basically promised him that he was going to be their starter in 2022, right. and then Deshaun Watson hits the market two weeks later, and they're out shopping around. Well, here's the deal. It's hard to convince uh, two parties to not have any animosity whenever you're talking about millions of dollars on the line, right? People are going to – that brings out a lot of emotion. So um, I that's going to happen. But between the fan base, Baker Mayfield was the perfect player to go in there, embrace Cleveland's situation, um, you know, play with the chip on his shoulder – play injured, do everything that he could for the franchise, and dig them out of a hole. And here's here's the thing though. He's not a he's not a Super Bowl capable quarterback. Not of his own accord, perhaps. But Yeah, well I, to win a Super Bowl, man, you gotta have it all. That's you, the thing. You gotta have and he's Cleveland's got a really good roster. But, you know, I mean look at this year's Super Bowl we're talking about Stafford and Burrow who, you know, Stafford had a great year. Burrow had a great year. Look at the, look at the, you know, the conference finals in, in the, those games leading up to the Super Bowl. You're talking about the cream of the crop in, in arm talent and, you know, just generalship leading a, an offense and in all of the intangibles Baker has shortcomings that he's not going to be able to to overcome. And he would have to have, you know, the roster he would have to have would be, you know, unbelievable. And they've got a really good one there. And a guy like Deshaun Watson, he is good enough, in my opinion, to get that that roster into some really, really good places. Super Bowl, I don't know about that. It's tough to win a Super Bowl, but Deshaun Watson is – is a beast. The last year he played in the league, he was a he was the best quarterback statistically in the NFL. I mean, that's saying something. That's hard to do. Led in passing yards, 33, 36 touchdowns to seven interceptions, 70% completion. Like he's athletic. He's he's got it all. Now, he's bringing a lot of baggage with him wherever he's going. There's no doubt about that. Well, but. and I think you just strengthened your initial your initial point there when you cited Deshaun Watson's statistics because despite the season he had, the Texans went four and twelve. Right. So you can have a really talented guy at the quarterback position, but the reality is he's got to have pieces around him if you're going to succeed as an organization. Right. Yeah. Um, you, you do. You do. And I, I don't think it's it's it hasn't been fair. To like every year has been a little bit different for Baker. First year, he wasn't the starter. Second year, you know, they did a really good job, but the roster wasn't quite there. Offensive line was down. And then this year, heading into the season, like they were, this was going to be it. They were poised to make a really big run. And 
it just never got going. Baker was banged up like crazy. They had different injuries throughout the season. They had some some locker room drama going on. I mean, there there was a lot there, but I don't know. Here's the problem. Like if if this ends up being a trade with the Texans, I that's Baker's had a good roster in Cleveland. Houston does not have a good no, roster. No, Houston's atrocious. And you take Baker to a bad roster, that's not going to be good. No. No, it will not. And fortunately, I don't think that's the scenario that's going to play out because I've been hearing New Orleans for Deshaun Watson since this morning. So at least for now, that appears to be the most likely scenario because from what I've been told, the Browns offer wasn't good enough and New Orleans has a lot that they're willing to mortgage to bring Deshaun Watson in. So yeah. uh, it's it's looking like the Saints may be the most likely landing spot. Of course, all the buzz as far as Baker over the last 24 hours or so has been the Indianapolis Colts, yeah. which uh, that's an organization that it's it's really tough to gauge how he would fit there because – Sure, they just went 9-8 and eight with Carson Wentz. They also lost the last two games of the regular season and missed out on a playoff berth by the skin of their teeth. I think Frank Reich is an excellent football coach. Yep. But again, like you were talking about, if Baker Mayfield's going to be successful as an NFL quarterback and if he's going to be able to play for a Super Bowl one day as an NFL quarterback, you have to put him in a position where he has at least a couple elite weapons around him on the offensive side of the ball. The Browns figured that was going to be Odell Beckham in Cleveland. Now, I would say Indianapolis... Well, they should have asked me before they uh, <laughs> thought that. <laughs> well, maybe that, can be your, uh, maybe that can be your next career. Special consultant Gee, for the Cleveland It's Browns. not that hard. Odell Beckham is... Like the Rams situation, everyone wants to talk about how great... He was for the Rams. The reason he was great for the Rams is because he was able to use the Rams in order to get himself to a Super Bowl. Any long-term situation with Odell Beckham is a disaster waiting to happen. He's, he's not a guy that you can have on your team. And I'll stand by that forever. As far as – and to that point, as far as the whole Browns conversation is concerned – I feel like what's kind of been obfuscated in this whole conversation is just how much of a wood chipper Cleveland has been for quarterbacks over the last two decades. Nuts. And sure, Baker Mayfield has not been perfect over his four seasons in Cleveland, but he has been leaps and bounds better than anybody else that they've rolled out at that position. Yep. Like, Charlie Fry was supposed to be the guy that dug that franchise out of mediocrity. And I, when it wasn't Charlie Fry, it was supposed to be Colt McCoy. And then it was supposed to be Brandon Whedon. And then it was supposed to be Johnny Manziel. Well, hey, I can go back further than that and say that I remember – I was in the NFL when I think – was it Derek Anderson? Derek Anderson. Won, like, four games in a row or something like that. And yeah, it they was went 10-6 like, in 2007. Uh, he was the toast of Cleveland and then that – that whole thing, which uh, who could have saw that coming, that it was going to fall apart. But um, here's the thing. Baker Mayfield is set to make nearly $19 million this year, right? Okay. That's his, it's, the, it's the last year of his five-year contract. He's an um, unrestricted free agent in 2023. So I see this as a – it's basically um, – a trade, get some assets, and then we're 
not tanking, but <laughs> we will be set up to be in a position to take a quarterback early after next year, and there's going to be some good quarterbacks available. And this, this that is, would be how I would see that if I was Houston. This is a, we're not going to win anything big. Uh-huh. This is a stopgap year. We can Deshaun Watson does not want to be here. We can get out of this thing, get some picks, get maybe a player or two, whatever it may be, and then you know this is a one year contract with Baker. We'll be out of it and. Right back there in the top of the draft for for a QB. Houston is a long term rebuild right now. Like oh, you yeah. are you are not fixing the problems that that organization has overnight. And you can it tell is. by the way they've approached hiring a coach there, right? It's basically <laughs> like ah, uh, who cares? Just hire somebody, you Ugh. know. So they threw David Coley to the wolves, yeah, and then kicked him to the curb after one season. So I, that that's kind of what I see happening here. Um, you know, I it's going to be really difficult. Whenever you you just look at Baker's career statistically so far, it is it's very ho hum. Sure, you know, very. Uh, he's bottom third of starting quarterbacks in the NFL since he's since he's been a starter. Um, he's thrown a lot of interceptions. He's let's see in his career he's ninety two touch in four years. 92 touchdowns, 56 interceptions. Um, last year was a good year for him. 26 touchdowns, only eight interceptions. That he was, he was doing really well. That was his. That's why everyone was so uh, excited coming into this year. And it's not fair, I know, but that's just the that teams aren't going to say, "Yeah, you're right. You were injured." Um, we'll give you the benefit of the doubt. They're not going to do that. They're just going to say, well, here's what it is. You threw 17 touchdowns and 13 interceptions last year. It's going to be it's going to be a, an uphill battle for them, I, I think. The situation with the Browns, though, and kind of what I've said from the get-go ever since the rumors started swirling in October, I believe it was, that maybe the Browns and Baker Mayfield go their separate ways after the end of the 2021 season. With, as I mentioned, the two decades of – the wilderness at the quarterback position that you experienced before Baker Mayfield, you better make pretty dang sure you have a definite upgrade over Mayfield waiting in the wings before you decide to change quarterbacks because now it looks like the Browns aren't getting Deshaun Watson. They've now alienated Baker Mayfield. (laughs) What is next for Cleveland at the quarterback position? Now that becomes the question. And now you you run the risk of wandering the wilderness for another several years trying to find your quarterback of the future. Yeah, I don't know. I I, I don't know what's going to happen there. And here's the thing. like, It's so hard in the NFL. Like, for instance, Green Bay, they signed back Aaron Rodgers. Mm-hmm. And I saw a lot of people saying, oh, there's no way they should sign Aaron Rodgers and pay him that. He's, what, he's 38 years old. Uh, they should have traded him and moved on. Traded him for who? <laughs> and moved on to what? That I, I let's see. I don't have quick access to the statistics here, but Aaron Rodgers threw like forty something touchdowns and like four interceptions this year. Right, a ten to one touchdown to interception ratio. The guy, in my opinion, is still the best quarterback in the NFL. 
there's just no one else out there. It's so difficult to get game changers in the NFL. There's like 10 guys, and maybe not even 10, that are just total game changers. And when you have one, you have no choice but to do everything you can to keep them there. Exactly. Like this, the Deshaun Watson deal just happens to be a strange situation, right? Like this is, it's pretty rare that a guy of, of his capability, his statistics is is going to be out there on, on the market. So, I mean, it, Aaron Rodgers, uh, 69% completion percentage, 37 touchdowns, four interceptions. You know, the highest quarterback rating in the league by, you know, light years. The guy is just, he's unbelievable. And, yeah, they didn't win the, the Super Bowl, and he ends up catching the blame for all of that. But I assure you, if Aaron Rodgers isn't there, they ain't winning the Super Bowl. Absolutely not. That dude's been carrying that franchise for, for 15 years, yep. and they have given him no help along the way. That's right. That's right. All right. Um, we got plenty of stuff to talk about today. Keep hitting us on the text line, 651-3439. Opening timeout. We'll be back. Back with you on the rush, Parker Thune, Teddy Lehman. Teddy, going back to the discussion that we were having last segment, our uh, resident Eagle Scout, Mark Desher, walked in, and like the Eagle Scout that he is, said, the issue I take with your wilderness analogy is if you know what you're doing – the wilderness will give you everything you need. So the Browns are more wandering the desert at the quarterback position than the wilderness. So tomato, tomato. But nonetheless, I think Cleveland's entering a situation where <laughs> they're essentially exactly where they were in 2017, which is they have no clear answer at the quarterback position if, as things appear to be trending at the moment, they do not end up with Deshaun Watson. What's the deal on Deshaun Watson? Because I haven't seen the latest on that situation. So again, the latest, uh, the latest reliable info that I have is right now, it's New Orleans until it ain't, and if it isn't New Orleans, it's going to be Atlanta. Hmm. So again, from what I was told, the Browns' offer was not good enough. Huh. Well, um, that is. I wonder who's in the driver's seat for that, uh, for that, the offer because. You know, Deshaun Watson has to agree to it, right? Yes. Uh, um, but, you know, the team also has interest and in, in needs that they've got to have addressed uh, to be made whole or at least close to whole. So that's fascinating. And, you know, Cleveland may be in a position now where I they don't have a choice but to really up an offer, right, and make something very appealing because I, – I, and I guess I can't say that the relationship is is totally ruined, but, I mean, whenever, whenever you're going out and shopping for a quarterback, it, it's the most important position on a team. And whenever you break that trust and you're making offers to, to get a trade, to get a guy in – after telling your your guy that he's he's going to be the one, he's going to be the starter, it's hard to repair that relationship. I mean, it really is. So, I I don't know. And I've heard some people right, criticizing Baker for releasing the statement that he released. I'm like, <laughs> I don't understand that. How are you going to criticize Baker for releasing that statement but not criticize 
the franchise for going out and after t- telling him that he was going to be their guy and actively trying to replace him. I mean, what else? what's he supposed to do? Maintain radio silence? And I get it. There's a lot of people that think Baker talks too much, and, and maybe he does, but, you know, you can't hammer or criticize Baker for putting out a statement and not even criticize the organization for trying to bring in a guy, which their job is to to get the best players possible, right? The, yes. There's no pro. I got no problem with that. This is these are all big boys involved here. They can handle it. So I got no no real issue with that. But to tell a guy that he's going to be the guy and he's going to be the starter moving forward, and then start going through back channels or however they did it to, to work a trade. I mean, that's hey, you can handle a statement being released by a player, right? It's, it's almost reminiscent of the whole mule shoe situation, isn't it? No, yeah. Nobody has any issue with the fact that the Browns are pursuing Deshaun Watson. Right. Nobody has any issue with the fact that the, the, the fact that the Browns are ready to move on from Baker Mayfield. It's the process that went into it. It's how it all unfolded. Yeah. It's not the fact that it's unfolding. It's how it's unfolding. And here's the thing. I, you, you talk about the herd and how he's saying, well, you, he's loud. You know, you, you, you don't want to – you can't be a loud guy. There's some loud guys, but you've got to be unbelievable on the field. And, and I know he's a really good player, but is there anything louder than like – 30 sexual assault claims against a guy. That's pretty damn loud, isn't it? You know what's hilarious, <laughs> too? And this was just sent to me by a listener. Uh, Chris Mortensen on ESPN just ah, a few minutes Mort ago. the Mort Report. Yes. Uh, he, rep- he, he said the following uh, about Baker and the Browns is that they're breaking up regardless as it pertains to the Sean Watson situation. And get this. They, quote, want an adult at quarterback. Wow. They want an adult. I suppose 20-something sexual assault allegations Mm. makes you more of an adult than a two-page statement that you published Mm. on the Notes app from your iPhone. Wow. Is that the the position there? That's what it sounds like. There's, you know, Baker is a polarizing guy. Why? Because Kansas players didn't shake his hand at the coin flip and... (laughs) He grabbed his crotch. And Ohio State beat him in 16. Uh, He beat them at their place in 17. I'm sure there's a lot of trash talk going on during that game, and he planted the flag at the 50-yard line. Um, That's why people don't like Baker Mayfield. Nobody's got a problem with Deshaun Watson, though, right? I mean, there's no problem here. And, okay, Allegedly, he's accused. Whatever, I, you know, I I get that he's innocent till proven guilty. But I mean, there's some serious allegations there, and it's as if you know he's free and clear. No, no cloud there at all. But the crotch grab guy, we can't have that. No way. The latest buzz as far as the Cleveland quarterback situation is for Jimmy Garoppolo. Do you think? Hey. You, you think Jimmy Garoppolo is an upgrade over Baker Mayfield? Because like to me. That's a pretty lateral move. He's he's an upgrade, but an insignificant upgrade. Yeah. 
over over Baker Mayfield. Well, for instance, let's see. 2021, uh, the Garaputo kid, 68% completion, pretty good, 3,800 yards, 20 touchdowns, 12 interceptions, compared to what I say for Baker, 23 and 17, something like that. I mean, it's it. there's not that big of a difference between the two guys. So, 17 and 13 for Baker. So, yeah, I it's it's an upgrade but but not much of one not one that's going to drastically alter the course no. that your franchise is on no i think i think he's he's got some better arm talent he's um you know he's a bigger guy maybe a more durable guy in the pocket uh sometimes you, you never really know with that but he is an adult that'll check that box you know <laughs> He wasn't wasn't he dating that porn actress for a couple of years? I that is, I guess that officially makes you an adult, huh? I think it depends how you what what do you consider dating? Um, you know, that was it seems like that was the first thing, the first stop that he had whenever he got out to San Francisco. Yeah, so you're da- you're dabbling in the adult film industry, you're officially an adult. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Here's the thing. The teams that typically play the musical chairs with the quarterbacks, it doesn't matter, right? Now, every now and then, you'll have a move at quarterback that does matter. Uh, Tom Brady to Tampa, Peyton Manning to Denver, Russell Wilson to Denver, but Matt Stafford to, um, to the Rams. But usually, it's just, we're we're trading cards here, you know, right? There's there's no real real difference between the guys. Maybe some differing styles. Maybe you get a couple of pieces in a trade to be able to fortify an offensive line or or some skill positions or maybe a defense. But really, in the grand scheme of things, those moves really usually don't matter. And you don't find championship quarterbacks. Right, if you think back over the past twenty years in the NFL, there's maybe one legitimate championship quarterback, and that's Tom Brady and Peyton. Okay, you're going to throw Peyton in that conversation. Well, I mean, he like, won the Super Bowl, Denver. Yeah, it's it's understandable, but again, the Super Bowl he won in Denver. My point being is, you got to build a championship team well, yeah, instead of relying was, on a championship quarterback. Yeah, yeah. that that defense. You're was right. Outstanding. You're right. Um, Peyton Manning was not. Indianapolis Peyton Manning whenever he went to Denver. No, not at all. He was not. But, you know, the fact that he was there, it, you know, and everyone believes. I mean, I, I think I was talking with uh, Perry, the sales guy, about this earlier, and I've mentioned it on the show. Just whenever you have a guy that has that amount of credibility that shows up somewhere, it changes the entire locker room. Everyone goes from being a mercenary out there for money and to try and get the next big contract to we can win a Super Bowl with this guy. And, and you get a, an actual team dynamic. And nobody's done that better than Tom Brady, which right. is oh, why he's won yeah. seven Super Bowls. And I think there's going to be some of that effect with Russell Wilson in Denver. Now, Denver does not have the roster that Tampa Bay had whenever Tom Brady went down there. So no, they've got a work in progress. They've got a lot of work to do, but um, – it's it's very rare. It's why Green Bay is paying 
Aaron Rodgers, what, $50 million a year guaranteed over three or whatever crazy number it ended up being because they're not out there. They're, they're, they're not out there. You're not upgrading from Aaron Rodgers. No. No. You're not upgrading. You're not, you're not getting anyone – like you're not making an equal trade. You're not getting anyone that's anywhere near him. Anyone that's anyone like the guy that's the closest to him right now and at some point will overtake him is Mahomes. Well, guess what? Kansas City got him to a 10 year contract, right? For 500 mil. Yeah. And that's about to happen with the Herbert kid and Burrow and gosh, what Josh Allen just got a massive contract. Yeah, so like 270 million. Yeah. It takes you like uh, half of a season. And everyone looks at each other and say, break the bank. We cannot let this guy ever leave here. And, you know, that's just how it goes. Everyone else is just going to kind of shuffle cards. And it's really not going to matter. Like Carson Wentz, I think he does some good things at times. I think there's – he's got some roadblocks mentally, I think, whenever stuff starts to turn bad. Yes. And I – when have you seen a guy of his caliber? Um, I mean, he didn't get benched. He got injured, but they went on and won a Super Bowl, and he's gone the next year. Same thing kind of happens to him at Indy, and now it's just going to be he's going to be shuffled around. And whoever they bring in, you know, they they got lucky whenever Andrew Luck happened. Peyton was hurt. They were terrible. Uh, just so happened to be the perfect timing to get the maybe the best, uh, highest rated pro prospect since John Elway. And, you know, they hit it out of the park. Yeah, but. you struck gold. That's not going to happen every single time. Yeah. By the way, uh, we may be on the precipice of the Deshaun Watson to New Orleans news breaking Ooh. because the Saints Super Bowl odds have moved from 50 to 1 to 20 to 1 in the last hour. Mm. So. That could very much be on the horizon. Yeah, I think that's still a bit rich with New Orleans. But uh, he's a good player. And if you're Deshaun Watson and your agent is saying, okay, Cleveland, Atlanta, or New Orleans. (laughs) Pretty clear choice. Pretty clear choice. I mean, New Orleans won a Super Bowl. uh, Atlanta won a Super Bowl. But gave it away in the second half to the uh, New England Patriots. So, yeah. Man, Atlanta. That has to be whenever they lost that Super Bowl. That that broke that franchise. It broke that franchise. Like it, has they, been, it has been a tailspin ever since. Tom Brady ruined the Atlanta Falcons. I mean, ruined them. So, yeah. Deshaun Watson's game changer, though. And Atlanta becomes a very desirable place to go play once again. Huh. Fascinating. I, I, I love – I'm sorry, maybe this is very petty, but I love that Cleveland uh, swung and missed on Deshaun Watson and looks like they're going to lose Baker Mayfield in the process. And I don't know what they're going to end up with, but 
Maybe they'll end up with Carson Wentz, you know? <laughs> oh, gosh. Now, that that definitely is a lateral move at best if you're going Baker Mayfield to Carson Wentz. That's funny. All right, quick timeout. More from the rush coming up. Hit us on the text line. We'll get to some of those next. 651-3439. Back on the rush, you, turn, you tuned in for Teddy and Tyler. You got Teddy and Parker. So... Got half of what you came for. The off-brand Tyler McCombs. You got more than what you came for. (laughs) Let's hit the Air Comfort Solutions text line quickly because we got folks chiming in. One listener asks, aren't teams rolling the dice that the NFL won't suspend Watson if they trade for him because of the pending civil suits that are yet to be tried? Yeah, that's one thing that I don't know if we're talking about enough. There's no guarantee that Deshaun Watson's going to be able to play right away for your organization. Yeah, I think... The, I think here's what the gamble is, and I I don't know what's going to come of this. Um, my guess is there's probably going to be a settlement, and if there's a settlement, there is – which there it already went to a grand jury. The grand jury did not have enough evidence or didn't think there was enough evidence to have um, – not necessarily that a crime didn't take place, that there was enough evidence to be able to prove a crime took place uh, and get a um, conviction. So that is gone. I mean, that's the real worry. Now, the civil situation, I don't necessarily know how the NFL responds to that. There's not a whole lot the NFL can do Whenever, essentially, it it comes down to a uh, he said, she said type of situation, and there may be a a settlement. And if there's a settlement, then I don't know what you do as the league, right? I mean, someone said you did something. You're adamant that you didn't. It went to a civil suit. You settled out of court. I mean, you don't have much grounds to stand on. Yeah, I mean, that's it's it's kind of that's that. That, that's that. And, you know, maybe there's some type of suspension from the NFL, but, you know, if if you're able to lock the guy up for, you know, five years because he's – I don't know his contract situation, but he's going to be due um, a new contract. And if you lock him up long term, then, yeah, you may miss some games here in the next season. Maybe he's suspended for – for half a year or more, I, like I don't know. There is some risk there, but since there wasn't a, um, since there's not going to be a legal, um, uh, criminal trial, like the the biggest part of the of the gamble is done, you know. So I I don't know. He'll be a he's due. He's due, let's see, thirty, nearly thirty-eight million. In gosh, he's under contract till twenty twenty-five. So, you've got him for a little while. Yeah, I mean, it, he's due worst, to make forty this year. I think at this point, the worst case scenario, based on the way that the circumstances sit at the moment, worst case scenario is he sits out six games, 
And then you got him for three plus years right. after that. So yep. yeah, there's some risk. It's rather minimal at this point. I I don't really know how the whole legal process works in cases like this. I did a mock trial when I was in seventh grade. I won the case as the prosecuting nice. attorney, but that's uh that's the about that's about the extent of my experience in the courtroom. Well, um, there is no legal, there is no criminal case unless some new piece of evidence emerges. And it goes back to a grand jury. The grand jury sees this new piece of evidence and says, yeah, I think that is enough for a conviction. And the prosecution district attorney says, we're going to press charges and move forward to, to try and get a conviction. So unless that happens, which I, I wouldn't see someone – coming out of the out of the blue after this whole thing is is taken place and come forward with uh, new evidence I guess something like that could always happen and it has to be in the back of your mind which number one here's what you got to say okay they didn't have enough here for a for a conviction for like they're not necessarily saying that a crime did not take place they're just saying that they didn't th- feel like they had enough to, to get a conviction. Right? That doesn't mean that he didn't do something bad oh, yes. and wrong. And I'm sure they've got, you know, NFL teams, most of the, most teams, uh, all teams have a, um, basically a uh, it's usually a former law enforcement official that is on their team that's like the head of security and most of them are not like um and not to say that this is a bad thing but they weren't like highway patrolmen these are usually like FBI guys or like you know guys that were very high up and have really good connections and can call in and figure out like what's going on so I would think that any team that is in on a guy that they're about to invest this much money into, there's going to be they're going to have a really good grasp on what the accusations were, what the evidence is, what went down. But it, I would say the risk isn't like a suspension from this deal. I would say the risk is that the behavior doesn't change, and there's better evidence next time. We see, and we see this all the time with guys, right. right? Where they have a couple cases where maybe there's not enough evidence, there are no charges filed, but then the behavior starts there's to become a, a pattern. Yep. It's habitual, and that's when you start to get into a lot more trouble. One more text from the text line: Cleveland did this to Brian Sipe with Paul McDonald and to Bernie Kosar with Vinny Testaverde. Beckham was this generation's Andre Rise, and history just repeats itself at the mistake on the lake. After 44 years of fandom, I'm currently preparing my departure from my Browns. Mm. Well, this is what sent you over the edge after 44 years, <laughs> which I it's not the one issue. I get it, and um, God, it's really hard, though, isn't it, to – when you are a a lifelong fan of something, can you just flip the switch? It would be hard for me to. It would yeah. be really hard. I don't know. Who's maybe your it's... NFL team? You Vikings guy? No, I'm a Bucks fan. Yeah. Bucks? Uh-huh. I, li- I, lived, I lived through a lot of misery, man. And I was like, wow. I'll be honest with you, I was not sold on the Tom Brady move, but 
he instantly in year one proved all of my apprehensions wrong and brought me the moment I'd never thought I'd see, which is my NFL team winning a Super Bowl. Hmm. When did you? When did they become your NFL team? Oh, when I was young, maybe nine or ten. I heard you the other day say, "What were you talking about?" And you were like, "Oh, this is like way back whenever I was young." And then you referenced like 2010 or 12 or something. Yeah, like way that. way back for me, <laughs> relatively speaking, does not carry as much weight around here. Right. You you may have been through some pain. As a Bucks fan, but you didn't go through the real pain of of a Bucks fan through like the what was it the eighties and the nineties for the Bucks were really bad, right? Oh yeah, they they were atrocious. I think they still hold the NFL record for longest losing streak. And they won a they won a Super Bowl. Was it oh one? Two was it two thousand? Two thousand two. Two thousand two. Won a Super Bowl. Then they you know they had some some really good teams. I loved that. That early two thousands Tampa Bay teams; those were those were really really good teams. But man, that's interesting. All the way from Nebraska to Tampa, what I was know. the connection? Uh, just family down there. Huh? In Tampa? Yeah. Wow. Clearwater Beach. Oh, I love Clearwater Beach. Great. They don't live there, but uh, I went there for spring break once. Outstanding. It's it's beautiful. All right, quick timeout. More from the rush coming up. We'll wrap up hour number one next. Stay tuned. Wrapping up hour number one on the rush, Teddy and Parker. And, Teddy, I get the sense that this Deshaun Watson news is imminent. Yeah. A lot of smoke. Thoughts? New Orleans, Atlanta, where's it going to go? At New Orleans. New Orleans. That's what it looks like. Uh, hey, good chance of winning the Super Bowl. Uh, whoever follows Jameis Winston gets it done, right? <laughs> Not right? Real talk. There you go. All well, right. I wonder where Jameis ends up. Houston. I, who knows? Cleveland. I don't know. All right, quick timeout. More from The Rush coming up. Hour number two is next. Rush is back. Hour number two, Teddy Lehman here. Parker Thune sitting in for Tyler McComas. 651-3439, Air Comfort Solutions, text line 329-9000. Law offices of Rod Polston. Well, Baker Mayfield in the news with the Cleveland Browns. He's also in the news here. We got the statue unveiling coming up. At the spring game, there were some curious folks out there wondering if Lincoln Riley, who was a huge part of Baker Mayfield's tenure here, obviously, wondering if he was going to be here for that. No, I don't think so. It looks like he's got other obligations. <laughs> yes, indeed. Coincidence? I've I've heard people suggesting that it is a move to overshadow Oklahoma. I don't think that's the case. I think that is probably going to be the Saturday across the country where there's more spring games than any other Saturday. It just kind of fits calendar-wise. So I don't think that's the case, but it is interesting. Um, I don't know. Sooner fans are going to have some very divided interest that day because, you like, you know, here's the thing about USC now is that they're going to have thousands and thousands of Sooner fans watching their games and keeping up with their football team week in and week out because those people want to see USC fail. So, like, 
the ratings are going to be good for USC. Right. The engagement, Hate the public watch. interest is going to be great. However, you know, like, there's that contingent of Sooner Nation that is just actively doom scrolling on social media waiting for the latest tweet from Lincoln Riley or USC football. And it's going to be that way every single Saturday throughout the fall because – now on Saturdays, OU fans are going to watch the Sooners in the afternoon, and then in the evenings, they're going to take to social media and turn on the Pac-12 network to watch USC. Hopefully, well, their hope is going to be that the ship sinks and sinks quickly. Right. Well, a couple of things. Number one, they can't lose their spring game, right? So <laughs> you can't tune in and, and and cheer for them to lose the spring game. But I you guess know they're, they're going to be terrible. they're going to be clowning Caleb Williams and oh, his no uh, paint and nails and his beats. No doubt about that. The other thing is, it's kind of like the old Howard Howard Stern situation, where um, like they're going through the demographics and the ratings. Uh, people that hate Howard Stern listen longer than any other <laughs> listener. Why? Uh, they want to see what he says next. It's the same thing. The The most adamant watchers of USC football are going to be Oklahoma fans. Um, it's definitely not going to be USC fans out there. Pretty funny situation. Let me ask you this. Okay. It, because I'm doing the huddle tomorrow, and because of the Baker Mayfield statue, they're going to be asking us some questions about Baker. Favorite Baker Mayfield moment. At Oklahoma. Ooh. That's tough, man. There are so many. Is it, so many is good, it bad like, that mine are the crotch grab is probably number one, the flag plant is probably number two, and number three is I think it was TCU and he drilled that dude in the head with the ball in pregame warm-ups right before they took the field. Man, there here's the thing. <laughs> there are so many enduring – memories of Baker Mayfield from his time at OU that I can recall. And I would say, like, there's not one that stands out above the rest. I think the easiest answer is the flag plant. Yeah. And I feel like if you made me put chips on the table, I would probably pick that one. Yeah. But if you're talking about off-field moments, obviously you have (laughs) the crotch grab, you have the exchange pregame with who? Who was it? Where it was Baylor, where he was like, "Daddy's yeah, yeah. gonna have to spank you tonight." Oh yeah, yeah. Was that 2015? Um, it was 2017. 2017. Yeah. Now the 2015 game at Baylor was awesome. That Baylor was number six, and I don't know. We had to be top five. We we made the playoff that year. Um, now I put on one of my answers was the throw to Dimitri Flowers in the end zone, where Baker's kind of scrambling around there in the pocket, but. That play is amazing to watch. And the reason it's amazing to watch is because I, he's scrambling around or looking around. He's got the ball for 10 seconds and no one ever comes near him. And I think that is the forgotten thing with Lincoln Riley's offenses, especially early on whenever they were unstoppables, how good those offensive lines were. And as the offensive line faded here so did the offense and that's going to be a big hill to climb out there at USC because you don't got Jerry Schmidt out there at USC (laughs) no no you don't which is which is really interesting because I you know I don't know if you've been following this at all but ESPN has done this 
college football 2022 team playoff. Oh, right? yes. We, we were talking about this, Drake and I, on Locked In. Yeah. And They're very high on USC. Very high. On, it was just big shocker, right? Get ready <laughs> for that because they are going to be – They'll be the new Texas. Pushing – USC on everyone nonstop because they they need those West Coast ratings and they're just going to pump it and pump it and pump it. But I loved this because they had Oklahoma and USC meeting up in in the regional final. And they have Oklahoma beating USC 35-28, which you know they really wanted to uh, go ahead and give USC that win there. Oh, yeah, they did. But they've already pushed him further than really even makes any sense. But um, let me find it here. Uh, I want to see, and maybe, maybe it's on the other description where they had USC beating a number one seed Michigan. Uh, yeah, here it is. Was there ever any doubt that Caleb Williams would end up at USC when Lincoln Riley made the decision to bolt to the West Coast? They were offensive magic together at Oklahoma, and nothing changes at USC. No? No, they weren't offensive magic <laughs> at Oklahoma. In oh, fact, boy. it was the worst offense Lincoln Riley had ever at Oklahoma. So, no, they were not offensive magic. Um, I think that that, is, that narrative is amazing to me. How that just, and Tyler talks about it all the time, how all of that just gets swept under the rug. And, oh, yeah, well, they're just going to continue to do what they did at Oklahoma last year. Oh, you mean um, going like 3 of 25 on third down the final three games? That's what they're going to continue to do? It's it's, It's miraculous how last year has just been somehow wiped from the slate, and ah, that doesn't really count. Oh, last year, that doesn't count. He was wanting to go west. Well, um, it counts for me. I mean, they were sputtering to the finish line over oh, those yeah. last three games. And the other thing that I don't think anybody's talking about is, okay, sure, Caleb Williams is a really, really good quarterback. Sure, he has the ability to make some really, really special plays. The skill position talent is at his disposal at USC – is absolutely not what it was at Oklahoma. Right. And you can't make plays by yourself at the quarterback position. You, sure, you will see Caleb Williams pop off a couple 50-plus yard touchdown runs in 2022. That's mm-hmm. what he does. But are you going to have a guy like Marvin Mims out wide whom you can just throw a 50-50 ball to in the fourth quarter of the Red River Showdown and trust that he's going to go get it? Who's that guy at USC? That I do not know. Um, they did make some some big moves in the transfer portal. They got some guys in there. Um, Mario Williams is one. They got the Travis Dye kid from Oregon, who's a good running back. Yeah, is he's he, good. Is he great? Uh, I don't know. Um, you know, Lincoln. He, I I don't know how the running game that he had at Oklahoma is going to translate to USC into the Pac-12. The Pac-12 is a different conference than what people – I know nobody's seen it in the last 10 years, right, it seems like, but <laughs> the Pac-12 has turned into kind of like what happened with the Big 12. And as the Big 12 changed from air raid to 
heavy personnel, three tight ends, H-backs, more play to your defense. The Pac-12 has done the exact same thing. Oregon has done that. Uh, Utah has done that. Stanford's always done that. That's more of what you see in the Pac-12 now. So it's going to be similar to to what the Big 12 was. And frankly, had he had problems with the way that people transitioned a little bit. So I don't know. I'm I'm anxious to see how that whole thing plays out because there was there were times whenever everyone else was just so set up offensively in the Big 12. It was it was total shootouts and. No one ever had a real commitment to stopping the run. They didn't. It was it was really like an all-out risk. We'll try and maybe force some big plays, force some turnovers, but we're trying to we're trying to score with you. That changed. And it changed to we're going to keep everything in front of us. We're going to play conservative defense. We're going to spread the net. We're going to make you go on 15 play drives instead of three play drives. Lincoln Riley did not thrive in that environment. He got antsy. He he wanted to he lost patience and wanted to score too fast. Started throwing on first down and didn't you know tried to force the issue on moving the ball down the field and ended up leaving himself with a whole bunch of third and longs and just it did not go well. Now there was other issues in there as well, but you know the the biggest thing is offensive line. And USC is not going to have a great offensive line. No, they will not. And if he's going to do what what he you know had the most success with at Oklahoma, I don't I don't know how well that's going to translate. You know they're going to be swinging those kettlebells all spring. Woo! <laughs> yeah, they'll, uh, they'll be ready for that lunges and kettlebells. Here we go. Now the thing about the Pac-12 is it's not a league that's difficult to win seven or eight games in. Oh, uh, Win, winning their schedule. Yes, it's astronomically easy. But winning eleven or twelve games in the Pac-12 has proven very difficult over the years because time and time again you see that league cannibalize itself. Yep. There's so much parity all across the league, and anybody can beat anybody on any given Saturday, even more so than the other four Power Five conferences. That you know, we think back to the last time the Pac-12 put a team in the college football playoff. That's Washington in 2016. Mm. Yeah, and they were in it, but they weren't in it. Oh, no, they were not in it. If you know what I mean. Yeah, USC's schedule next season, I I think they dodge Oregon. But, you know, the last two games at UCLA, UCLA's got their stuff together. Yep. Notre Dame is the final game of the season. Oh, they'll lose that one. They've they've got their stuff together. They're at Utah. Utah is going to be – Lincoln Riley's Iowa State from the Big 12. I no mean, doubt. That team is tough as nails. Their coach is tough as nails. They go to Oregon State, which traditionally is just a rollover team. Oregon State's playing a little bit better football. So Arizona State, they have at home, but they've played a little bit better football recently. Like When you look at the schedule, aside from the Notre Dame game, and and I guess Utah, nothing really jumps out at you, but you got to remember that USC was a four and eight football team last year. Like they had a similar schedule last year and won four games in it. So uh, whenever you look at it that way, I 
I honestly, it's hard to gauge what, what they're going to be. I really don't know. It wouldn't surprise me if they were 6-6, six and six, but it wouldn't surprise me if they won 9. I think they could win 9. I'd be surprised if they win double-digit games. I think 9 wins is about the ceiling. But you got better, sure. Talent-wise, you brought in a lot more guys than mm-hmm. you had a year ago, and that's going to be good for several additional wins. But with the culture that had taken root in that program, kind of like we were talking about with the Houston Texans last hour, yeah. this is not something that gets fixed overnight. Lincoln Riley's not going to walk in and swing right through the doors and go win 12 games in year one at USC. It's just not going to happen. Right. Now, USC may be a 12-win team a few years down the road, but... The expectations in year one, I think, are being dramatically oversold by the national media. Which is good. It's, it's good <laughs> for, for folks around here. And, you know, here, here, this is an unknown. Lincoln Riley is super smart, super capable. Um, he, he is a, a, a really, really good offensive mind. Yet to be determined... How good of a program builder he is. Bingo. And there's a lot that goes into it. He didn't have to build a program at Oklahoma. It was already done. And he he did nothing here to bolster the, the, the culture, like the foundation. It was it was really loose. And Loose teams, especially in college football, they don't win championships. No. Not anymore. I mean, there was a time whenever you could just go out and maybe with a Miami team out-talent people. You ain't going to out-talent Alabama. You got to beat them with discipline and details and off-season and coaching, development, and they're the best at all of those things. You have to find a way to do it better with talent that's not as good. And that, to me, does not suit Lincoln Riley. I think Lincoln Riley is, you give him a bunch of weapons offensively, he's going to make you um, one of the best offenses in the country, maybe the best. But everything else, yet to be determined. And that's exactly why I think it's so myopic when I hear people say, yeah, Lincoln Riley's going to be more successful at his new job than Brent Venables will be. Because the one thing that Brent Venables does not have to do, that Lincoln Riley does have to do, is build a program. You don't got to build a culture. Right. You don't got to dramatically and seismically shift the sands at that football program. Right. Lincoln Riley has to do that. Brent Venables walks in, and a lot of that work is already done for him. Well... A lot of it is done for him, but he is he's he's tearing it down though and and doing it a different way. But you know what way he's doing it? He's doing it the way Alabama did it when Saban showed up. That is the formula. Kirby Smart took that formula to Georgia. Um Clemson replicated that formula to win championships. Venables is taking pieces of all of that and obviously pieces of his Oklahoma championship, which 
you know, the championship he won at Oklahoma, I think, is more about what I think what he would take from that is more about um, like some of the offseason stuff Mm -hmm. and some of the like just some of the the work ethic stuff and and in the grind i think that's what he's taken from from Oklahoma but from Alabama from Clemson it's about building the back end of the program uh analyst recruiting office like the whole thing like all of the re- resources that you have to pour in when Nick Saban went to Alabama he said, break out the checkbook because we are going to be the best at absolutely everything, and it costs a ton of money to get there, and, and that's what they're building at Oklahoma, and it's going to cost a ton of money at Oklahoma, and there's going to, it's going to require a lot of help to get there, but that's, that's the formula they're going for. Well, and they're also saying, look, this is not an option. Right. This is yeah. not something we're going to negotiate about. This is something we're going to do if we want to build a successful football program. Yep. This is how it's going to be done. And. I think one of the the best phrases I heard Coach Venable say, and he said this on on the podcast, he said, I don't want a great team. I can can go out, I can find players in the short term to build a great team. I don't want a great team. I want a great program. And the way you build a great program is, is you have to build all the behind-the-scenes stuff. You have to have all the resources. You have to have the development, the culture. You have to have the right guys, not just the right players, but that's a huge part of it. Obviously, you have to have the right guys that are prepared to put in the work required and want are hungry for the work required, not trying to find an easy way out and expect an easy way out. You have to find the right guys. You also have to find the right guys um, in, in all of the roles Coaching, non-coaching positions, all of that. And that's how he's approaching it. And I love that. Now, the question is, how quickly does it take hold and how quickly do you have a championship-level team? It's not going to be easy. And it may take a little while, but I I feel like the results are going to show up pretty quickly. Um Championship? No, I. A championship can happen if you if you win the Big Twelve, you find yourself in the playoff. You never know. But talent wise, talent wise, development wise, just details, all of those things. We are starting from way behind Alabama. That is that's who you're shooting for. I mean, everyone knows that. That's who you're shooting for. We've. We've got a long way to go to get there, but that's the that's what we're trying to replicate. I don't think Lincoln Riley is trying to replicate anything at USC. I think Lincoln Riley's shooting from the hip. I don't think Lincoln Riley looks back at his tenure at Oklahoma and says, I should have done this, 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 and this. I get the feeling that he the way he was doing things, he feels like is the right way, and that's what he's going to do at USC, and I got news for you. That's not how you build a program from the ground up. I mean, I I just I I don't think it's a I don't think it's a tight knit championship type of organization. And I had complaints about it the whole time here. I mean, there's things that you could 
you could obviously see going on that that were worrisome. No, um, there's my rant. <laughs> All right, quick timeout. More from the rush coming up. Hour number two rolls on. Midway through hour two of the rush, Teddy Lehman, Parker through an Air Comfort Solutions text line 405-651-3439. I feel like I have to defend my honor here, Teddy, Uh-oh. because somebody hit the text line and said, you have an effing Husker on the air? Woo! And just to clear it up, I, I'm only a Husker in the loosest sense of the term hmm. in that I lived there as a child. The only, the only game I've ever rooted for Nebraska in was the 2009 Big 12 Championship game against Texas. Yeah. And obviously we all know how that ended. Huh. But Yeah, no. Never never I, I it, it's funny though because you know, OU's going back to Lincoln this fall for the first time in a decade plus. I've only ever been to one game at Memorial Stadium. Really? Me yes. too. It one was game. 2008. Yes, 2008. Nebraska beat Kansas, who at that time was pretty good. Yeah, that's recall. the year they went to the Orange Bowl. No, the year before they went to the Orange Bowl. Uh, okay. 2007 was the year they went gotcha. to the Orange Bowl. But the year following, Nebraska beat them 45-35. to 35. They threw a touchdown pass to Indomitian Sioux, and they ran a fake field goal with Alex Henry. I just remember it was the coldest I've ever been in my life. Really? It was like the prototypical Nebraska winter day. It was like 10 degrees and windy as all get out. 2.30 kick? I think so, yes. Wow. Let's see. 2008? 2008. 45 to 35 was the final, if yeah. my memory serves me correctly. Yep, 45-35. Uh, Todd Reesing threw for 304. Uh, Briscoe, the uh, wide receiver, had Desmond Briscoe had one seventy six. What a day! Yeah, it was. It was not more than ten or fifteen degrees. I mean, it was freezing. Yeah, one thirty kick central. Wow. I am looking forward to going back to Lincoln this fall, though, because you know it's it's my world's colliding. It's my Nebraskan heritage uh, colliding with the Sooners. Yeah, that's going to be cool. I'm really looking forward to that. I have only been there one time 20 years ago plus uh, 21, 2001, we played Nebraska and lost. Uh, the the Mike Stunts to Eric Crouch game, right? Yeah. That's that's always the one my dad talks about. That's, his, that's one of his enduring memories of the OU-Nebraska rivalry series because – uh, he would have been, what, five years out of college at that point. And he, like myself, grew up in Omaha, went to OU. And so he was a Sooner surrounded by a legion of Cornhuskers. Yeah. And I, it, it will be cool, though, because mm. football is a way of life up there. Like, as much as it is a way of life in Oklahoma, it is absolutely a way of life in Nebraska. And what's what's admirable about it is the fact that they've been really bad for a really long time. And those fans don't lose interest. Yeah. Hope springs eternal. I'll tell you what, man. Um, I am cautiously optimistic about Nebraska's future. Oh boy, you're drinking the Kool Aid, Teddy. I've I've heard a couple of things that are going on at Nebraska behind the scenes a little bit. 
And I think it bodes well. I really do. Now, a program of Nebraska's stature, and I have a guess at what you're referring to, but I don't want to put words in your mouth. Nebraska is a program that's always going to have a lot of appeal at face value just because of the history there Mm -hmm. and the fact that they were a dynastic team in the mid-90s and they were nationally competitive as recently as a decade ago. But I just think part of the reason they've fallen upon hard times is because, one, they should never have run off Bo Pelini. Bo Pelini, he he had plateaued at Nebraska – but they quickly, <laughs> kind of like Cleveland and Baker Mayfield, they, they, messed, they messed around hires. and found out. Who was the hire after him? It was Mike Riley for three years. Okay. Who was it after Riley? It was Scott Frost. And Frost... Well, okay, I'm thinking of the hire before Pelini. Oh, Bill Callahan. Callahan, yeah. Um, the, I remember whenever they moved on from Pelini, it was... I think it was a bit rushed... But you could understand, but they went and got Mike Riley from Oregon State that had not won anything at Oregon State. They were terrible whenever he was there. I was I was baffled by that move. I, I just I couldn't understand it. What was that, 2012, whenever that it happened? It was 2014. 14? Yep. So, I mean, they won 10 games. And lost to to Georgia in a in a fairly tight game in the Capital One Bowl, uh, New Year's Six in 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 2012. Um, 13, they won nine games. They were nine and four, and then they made the move to uh, to uh, Mike Riley, and it just uh, crazy. And it was it was because Polini had plateaued. Like the running joke up there is that September fourth, nine four is Bo Polini Day. Yeah. Because that was his record every single year. Well, they kind of did the same thing to Frank Solich, right? Yes. They moved on quickly from Frank Solich whenever, you know, they weren't – because they were – it was, you know, the 90s were in the rearview mirror, and it's like, what's what's happening here? We need to win championships, and they made that move. But I I don't know, man. Here's here's what I've heard about Nebraska. Okay. Lay it on me. There is a lot – I mean, huge amounts of money pouring into that program yep. right now, buddy. Yep. Huge. So, um, it's hard to recruit on what you did in the 90s and that you were competitive in, you know, the the early teens, I guess, or the tens, however you want to put that out there. It's hard to recruit on that. But the one thing you can recruit on is a ton of money pouring into the program. And they're they're about to make some moves. And I like what Frost did. He made a nice hire at offensive coordinator. He separated himself out from it a, a bit. I think they've got they've got good, tough players there. They they do a really good job developing, uh like physically developing in the offseason. So I don't know. I'm I'm interested to see what Casey Thompson does there, man. I really am. Yeah, I, that's that's one thing that Oklahoma has, or not Oklahoma, but Nebraska has working in their favor is that in Casey Thompson, they've got a better quarterback than they have had in some time. And Adrian Martinez had his moments, but for the most part was grossly inconsistent. And my whole thing with Scott Frost, and I don't know if you share my opinion on this or not, but I'll throw it out there. I think Scott Frost is a good coach. 
I think Nebraska is a good program. I don't think those two mesh well. I think that yeah. high. I think that hire was forced. I think everybody figured, oh, Scott Frost is the hot up-and-coming name in the coaching profession. Nebraska has the vacancy. Well, he's got to come on home then. I, I think the, um, I think the right hire for Nebraska is currently at Illinois. Really? Why can I not think of his name? Brad Bielema. Bielema. Why do you think he's the guy at Nebraska? I, I because I think he is, I, kind of what his teams have always done, and been like hard nosed and physical at the at the line of scrimmage at the point of attack, um, you know, built from the offensive line, defensive line, like that is what Nebraska's strength has always been. You know, they've had they've had some flash with option stuff, but. The meat and potatoes of option football and all option football teams that won championships, it was really their defense is what is what really propelled those teams. Nebraska was no different. Oklahoma was no different. Um, it's all on the line of scrimmage, and that is what Bielema does. And I, I think Frost is like tries to maybe play to some of that, but he is a – now he's like a Chip Kelly guy. He's yeah. He's he's a Pac-12 guy. He's a Pac-12 football coach. Right. That's now, where he belongs. And they've done some bigger personnel stuff there at Nebraska. Uh, three tight end stuff and and gotten created uh, creative out of that. A lot of end over and unbalanced stuff. So they've played around with it. But I I just don't think that that is his real forte. Uh, you can't just. I mean, some coaches say, "Yeah, we need to do that. Let's let's." Let's try and scheme some people, but you don't scheme people with that. You run over the top of them, and you just—it's—it's it's brutal, smash mouth football. That's how you win that way. You don't win by we'll figure out a way to outgap them, and that's what Bielema does. I think his mindset is perfect for for them, but I don't know. We'll see. Like they're going the opposite direction. They're going air it out. Yes. So and that's not going to fly in the Big Ten. Yeah. All right. Quick timeout coming up. Stay tuned. Winding down on hour two, of the rush. Teddy Lehman, Parker Thune. We're going to have to hit some basketball at the top of the hour. Teddy Sooners with a convincing NIT win over Missouri State yesterday, and we are less than twenty-four hours away from the official dawn of the actual NCAA tournament. No, the first four. Does not count. Um, yeah, you, you have a strong stance on the current campaign to kill daylight savings time forever. I'm against it. Oh, really? Yeah i I don't know what the frustration is. Uh, is the frustration just the hour move? Is that what it is? Like I don't know. Like it's it's one of those debates that's literally meaningless, right? Because you're not making the sun hang in the sky any longer if you change the clocks. Well, here's the thing. When in spring, summer, early fall, you spend way more time outdoors doing things, right? Yes. You take advantage of the nice weather, of the extra light. Um you know, giving yourself that extra time to be outside and do stuff. I like that. 
I like, I like being able to have longer days. I know you get naturally longer days anyways, just because of, of, you know, the rotation of the earth and such, but I don't, I don't mind extending those, those hours and I don't mind shortening the hours whenever it's cold and crappy outside and you don't want to spend much time outside. I have no problem with it. I actually like the current system, but I think people in in parts of the of the country that are really nice year round see it as a frustration. Mm, it's those LA snobs again. Yeah, huh? LA, Florida, um, which I think Rubio's the one that presented it, right? Yes, he is. So I, I get how they think it's a frustration, but the the parts of the country that actually experience all four seasons, I, I don't know. I like spending more time outside in the summer. I don't have a problem with it, but I don't know. It's not. I guess it's not that big of an issue for me, one way or the other. How, where do you fall? I, it literally, like, I I have no horse in the race because it matters so little to me. I'll say this. The hour adjustment in the spring is not great. No, I mean, I, I was zapped for a solid 48 hours afterward. But, you know, it's one of those things you live with. But, damn, do I like that extra hour <laughs> in the fall. Particularly because it's right after a football game. Usually. I know. It is. It's right about the time that I'm ready to quit uh, radio and football games and everything. It comes, comes at a very much needed <laughs> time of the year for me to get that extra hour so it's there's the most refreshing take. hour of the year. Yeah, the yeah. most refreshing hour of the year. No question. It's the one night you. It's like wow, that felt amazing. What's going on here? Ugh, come for the college football talk. Stay for the daylight savings time <laughs> takes. By the way, did you hear John Kurtz on with me and Steely yesterday? I don't. I'm not sure. Okay, so uh, John Kurtz, who's a Kansas State insider, Kansas mm-hmm. State analyst, came on. And uh, the reaction on the text line was hilarious because everybody's like, I promise you, Teddy, if he's listening in his car right now, has steam coming out of his ears. <laughs> but John jumped on, and I, we were talking about something completely, completely extraneous, like Lon Kruger being the next Kansas State basketball coach, yeah. just like pipe dream type of thing, right? And so we're just kind of jesting with him. <laughs> and somehow the conversation turns around to – OU football and Muleshoe's departure for USC. <laughs> and he goes, I mean, to be honest, I'd love to see the demise of the Oklahoma football program. I'm not going to sugarcoat that or hide it. Wow. Well, it was, I, 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 and I looked at Steely. And of course, you know, the, the fanboy in Steely's heart has been, you know, jilted lover right. ever since November 28th. And so you could tell. That uh, that pierced him a little more than usual. Well, I got bad news for the gentleman, uh, the insider at Kansas <laughs> State. Uh, the opposite is about to happen. And it, no one around here is going to be surprised, right? But I think the rest of the country is going to be surprised. Well, we've, we've been talking about it for weeks. You know, all, I guarantee you, by the end of the 2022 season, all those same pundits that are putting Oklahoma outside the top 25 are going to be reviewing Oklahoma's 2022 season and going, why were we so low on Oklahoma? Why did we think there well, was going to be a bump in the road? They'll never say that. They'll never admit that. Uh, 
That's why I've been telling everyone, just keep the receipts. Take your screenshots now. Remember these pics. Remember these quotes. Remember Jack Wagons on podcast comparing Oklahoma to Maryland. Remember all of that because um, whenever we next year win the Big 12 and, and put together a really nice season, it's going to be as if no one ever said anything. They're going to be talking about what a great fit Venables is at Oklahoma and how um, you know he was he waited the right amount of time for the right job to come along and uh, was a no-brainer hire for Oklahoma. That's what everyone is going to say say next year. Mark it down right now, even though they're not saying anything of the sort. How's Oklahoma going to pick up the pieces after Lincoln Riley leaves to Southern Cal? All of that will change really, really quickly. It'll probably change after they milk all offseason. It'll probably change before they even make their preseason picks. Where all of a sudden it's like, hearing good things about this Oklahoma football team, something like that. Yep, yep, yep. All right, quick timeout. More from the rush coming up. We'll wrap up hour number two next. Wrapping up hour number two here on the rush. Parker Thune, Teddy Lehman. Teddy, Joe Buck and Troy Aikman taking over Monday night football duties on ESPN. Thoughts? Well, it's about time ESPN got a worthy, respectable crew for the biggest night. Well, it used to be the biggest night in football. Uh, It only took them, I don't know, (laughs) forever. Um, I'm glad they did it. Um, It's going to be a change, though. It's going to be odd. Seeing Aikman and uh, and Joe Buck on on ESPN on Monday nights, I don't know what this means for uh, like the rest of their duties. Uh, like what's what's going to go on on what's going to happen on Sundays with with Aikman? Is he going to be doing some studio stuff? And Joe Buck is you know he's had a huge role obviously in baseball. Is is that going to continue at ESPN? I'm I don't know. I'm curious to see how everything plays out. I think they do a great job together. I like Troy Aikman a lot. I think he does an, an excellent job. So, well, I'm I'm excited about it. It is going to take some getting used to though, because like for the yeah. long like for as long as I've been alive and conscious, Joe Buck and Troy Aikman have been broadcasting Fox NFL Sunday. Right. Like yeah. they've been the lead on Fox, and it's, so it's to wild. see them on ESPN, it, it does make ESPN's Monday Night Football telecast far more watchable though, because my goodness, that broadcast booth has been a motley crew over the last few years. I don't know why they overthink it so much. It's not that difficult to get a good play-by-play voice and a good solid color analyst. It's not that difficult. You don't have to shock the world with the hire that you made for Monday Night Football. Just put a couple of capable guys there. You remember when Jason Witten hated that broadcast booth so so much that he decided to go back to the NFL after a year? I don't blame him. In, in his first role, they threw him to the Wolves. He had never done it before. They put him on Monday Night Football, and they put him with Booger, a guy that won't ever shut up and says ridiculous <laughs> things nonstop and is tr- constantly trying to prove how much he knows. Just go with the flow and call the game. I mean, they made it as hard as possible on, on old Witten. But uh, What were your thoughts on John Gruden as a color guy? Loved him. Really? Loved him. 
He was very polarizing. Some people loved him. Some people hated him. It's kind of that way with Troy Aikman. I love Troy Aikman. I, I do think that he sometimes he got a little bit overboard on complimenting everyone, but I got to learn a couple of things. He didn't take himself too seriously. He was able to laugh and, and have a good time with it, but I still got to learn and uh, heard some interesting stories from him. All right, quick timeout. Final hours next. Final hour of the rush. Teddy Lehman here. Parker Thune filling in for Tyler McComas. Been hitting on the Baker Mayfield stuff all day. Um, we do have the statue unveiling. It's going to be strange. Most likely going to be on a different team by then. Don't know who it's going to be. Are you buying the indie stuff? I don't know if I'm buying the indie stuff yet because that seems to me, at least from what I've seen circulating, more just like the fans in Indianapolis want Baker Mayfield more so than the Colts have legitimate interest in a trade for Baker Mayfield. So I'm I'm playing wait and see in that regard. But I do think Indianapolis is a way better fit for him than somewhere like Houston. Indy is definitely a better fit than Houston. The problem for Indy is they are they're one of the teams like kind of like everyone like the majority of the NFL. You got your 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 top couple of teams in in each division, right? And then you've got the bad teams, handful of really bad teams across the league. And then you have everyone else that is constantly in purgatory. They're not bad enough to have really high draft picks. They're not good enough to make the playoffs or if they do make it to actually compete. Just kind of stuck in in this nonstop cycle of fighting, scrapping, clawing to just keep your head above 500. That's where Indianapolis is. And that's the worst place to be, too. Right, it's the <laughs> worst place to be. There's, no, there's really no light at the end of the tunnel. And Baker Mayfield is not going to change any of that for them, in my opinion. I could be wrong about that. That's, that's my opinion. I think that it, in, you'd have him for one year, and now you've got a decision. Right, are we Now we, we've had him one year, and we either got to sign him to an extension or let him go, and what did we really do? Right, we had one year. I I don't think he would be good enough in one year to sign some huge extension at Indy. Could be wrong. Uh, it's not like that division is just unbelievable. Tennessee's really good, but outside of that, uh, Houston and Jacksonville, we all we all get it. I think the most likely scenario is going to be a place like a Houston. Unfortunately. Ugh. Yeah. Disgusting. Let me throw a wild card at you. Actually, you know what? Let me just ask you this okay. straight up because I don't think I've asked you for your opinion on this yet. You can pick any organization in the NFL. Baker Mayfield's got to play one prove-it year for that franchise. Where do you think he fits best in the year 2022? For Baker. Like, yes, I'm not Baker. saying like for that franchise. Like I'm, I'm doing this for Baker to have a – a good year and 
work himself into a long-term contract with this team. Yes. Right? That's so, what we're talking and, about. And the parameters here is it's got to be in the realm of plausibility, i.e. you can't say Kansas City because obviously they're not about to ship Patrick Mahomes off, but you could say Minnesota because there's a chance they would ship Kirk Cousins off. <sighs> Man. That's so hard. There, it, It's... Most of the teams are, like I said, they're those purgatory type of teams that I don't think he's gonna. I don't think he's gonna do enough to really get get them over the hump to where they're just gonna be saying we got to sign this guy to a thirty five million dollar a year contract. I mean that's that's gonna be it's gonna be tough. It's it under that scenario, it's probably Indy. Yeah, but i I don't think I don't think Indies I don't think they're in for a. The problem is it's a one year deal. That's why I think it's like a a team that's bad. They're going to do a one year, make a trade. He's there for one year. Pay him his eighteen million dollars. They win four games. They have first, second, or third draft pick, and they take a quarterback. That's what I think is. Unfortunately, where he's stuck right now. Let me throw a couple of wild cards at you. Okay. The Washington Commies. Um, Think he could have success there? Because I know, I know they just traded for Carson Wentz, but Carson Wentz isn't the type of guy where you're like, okay, yep, he's certainly our starter heading into 2022. Do I think he can have success there? No. Uh, what do you call success? Again, the type of year in 2022 uh, that would make an organization want to sign you to a long-term deal after you have this prove-it year. That's That, in my mind, is success for Baker Mayfield. Not necessarily 4,500 yards, 40 touchdowns, but simply a good enough season that some organization is going to commit to you as a starter after 2022. Oh, man. I don't know. I, it, it's so hard. It's so hard to gauge, man. Last year is really all you have to go off of. And he was 24th in the NFL in passing yards. And the guys that were behind him, most of them were hurt and didn't play the whole season. It's, And I know he was hurt and did play, and that there's no doubt that that affected him. I just, what is the real Baker Mayfield? How much better than that is he? I mean, even even his best year, which was last year, um, the year previous to last season, if he was to replicate that, I, yeah, I mean, if he replicated what he did last year, which was, I think he cut his interceptions down. What did I say? Down it was to like twenty three eight was the TD interception ratio. If he did, if he had a twenty three eight touchdown to interception ratio. I think a lot of those places would probably lock him up to a a, a middle to low tier extension. Yeah. What but about what about Miami? Disaster. So you don't want to see him there. Mm-mm. That's that's such an interesting case down there, in Miami, because obviously there was all the controversy about them letting Brian Flores go. Yeah, but I'm, they've I'm also to think, they yeah. they. They've only been a piece or two away for the last couple years. Like, there's a lot of talent down there. A piece or two away from what, though? 
a piece or two away from being a consistent playoff team. Again, I, I don't know if we're talking Super Bowl anytime soon with the Dolphins, but much like the Colts, I think that's an organization that has some talent on both sides of the football, but for the last few years has generally been stuck in purgatory, and they're very obviously not committed to Tua Tungvaloa in the long term because they were getting all the buzz for the Deshaun Watson sweepstakes back in September, October before the NFL trade deadline. Right. Man, I don't know. I don't know. It's interesting. You know, San Francisco was really good at like offensively being creative, finding new, unique ways to get different players involved. Like that type of forward thinking offensively, like with Mike McDaniel, may be something that would really help Baker Mayfield have some success. And that that right there is the X factor. Mike McDaniel <laughs> That this dude's a, a brilliant football dude. mind. Yeah, I I don't know a whole heck of a lot about his football mind. I I've I like some of the things that I've seen from them. He's a hilarious interview. He is a different dude, which is kind of refreshing. You know, whenever you get the same old coach speak for most people, he's a different guy. A different guy for sure. Um, which you know. Maybe it takes a different personality like that to kind of mesh well with a, a guy like Baker Mayfield. Huh. That's an interesting one. That's really interesting. Last one. Okay. Seattle. Seattle, it it sounds good in theory, but that division yeah. is so brutal that I just I don't I I think he could go there and what they got Drew Locke right and yeah Drew Locke is presumably the starter Drew Locke Geno Smith Ugh. I, I think he could go there and win the starting job but sure. what does that mean I I don't know that that necessarily translates into anything long term success wise and uh, it. I guess what I just need to say is it's going to I I have a feeling it's going to be really difficult for Baker Mayfield moving forward. I made this comparison the other day and I'd love to know your thoughts on it. I think Baker could be the type of guy that we see follow a similar career path to what we saw Ryan Tannehill follow where he's down there in Miami for several years is middling not terrible but not elite has to sit a couple years as a backup and then resurfaces on a team with a ton of talent on the defensive side of the ball and a really solid running game, and he becomes a stable stopgap for an organization that is in the Super Bowl hunt every year. He's I, I don't think Baker Mayfield is ever going to be the type of guy that puts a team on his shoulders and route to a Super Bowl run, but I'd be curious to know what you'd think of the Ryan Tannehill comparison in that regard. Yeah, I I think there's I think there's some similarities in in that. Um, yeah, it takes the perfect. You have to fall just absolutely blindly backwards into that situation. <laughs> I very true. No one no one thought Tennessee was going to be able to to do what they've done, and it's really 
frankly, it's been it's been pretty miraculous. They've built a really solid all around football team, and and that's what it's going to take. It's going to have to be a team like that because he, you know, like we've said, he's not going to be the quarterback that is the game changer and is able to hide your flaws. He's going to be the guy that is, you know, able to distribute the ball, hand it off to a six foot four, two hundred and fifty five pound running back like Derrick Henry. You know, rely on a really good defense. Yeah, I, I mean that that could work. The problem is that situation is really really difficult to come by. Um, I. I think that he's going to have. I think he's going to end up as a backup. Um, I think it's going to be a one-year rental, whoever wherever he ends up this year, and I think it, I think he's going to end up being a, a backup. And I hate to say that. The text line suggesting Tampa sit for a year behind Brady, sign another short-term deal with the organization to presumably compete with Kyle Trask for the starting job. And then maybe that's a situation where it's more conducive to your success as a quarterback than Cleveland is at the moment. Yeah. You got to tell me why Tampa Bay would pay a backup quarterback $18 million when they and, have and, and, and believe me, Tom like, Brady. So, like I said earlier in the show. Bucks fan, I know that team's cap situation. They wouldn't be able to. <laughs> right. That's you. I mean, that's like that's one of the problems is, and it's not. That's still a light deal for a quarterback. Whenever you see like the quarterbacks ranked and how much some of these guys, the guys that are rotating into their new deals, you know, you're not going to find many starting quarterbacks that are difference makers out there that are going to be below like twenty five, thirty million dollars. So. I mean that eighteen million for a backup. That's going to be tough. That's why I think he's going to start somewhere that is doing the NFL version of tanking, which is you know right now it's Houston and Seattle. Houston, Seattle. Uh, you know Jacksonville has their guys, so you can rule them out. I don't know. I think it's going to be tough. I think yeah. it's going to be tough. All right, quick timeout. More from the rush coming up. Final hour rolls on. All right, final hour of the rush. Parker Thune, Teddy Lehman. Teddy? Yes. We're sir. getting close. It's almost tournament time. Have you you've, you filled out your bracket? I have filled out a bracket, which, by the way, quick reminder to everyone out there, if you would like to enter the Ref Bracket Challenge, just go to the ESPN uh, Bracket Selection Join my group, the Ref Bracket Challenge. Password is the Ref, the T H E dash Ref R E F. All lowercase. All lowercase. Ah oh, man, the dash in there is going to be. I know they, the tough. dash is. There are probably like fifty people out there that are like, "Why can't I get into this group?" I know you can't forget the dash in there. So uh, yeah, make sure you join. They've got some prizes and stuff, giveaways for um, different finishes there. So um, I'm I have entered a bracket. I'm not sure whenever I win it if I'm eligible for prizes or not. So. 
maybe those just get passed down to the guys that finish second, third, and fourth. I don't know. I suppose who do you, you don't you don't have to disclose your national champion if you feel like it's a competitive disadvantage. But who do you got in your final four? Who are you rolling with? <laughs> it it's a, it's just flat out a disadvantage, not necessarily <laughs> a competitive disadvantage. My national champion is Texas Tech. Oh wow! Okay, yeah. What what's got you rolling with the Red Raiders? Uh, it's really just a troll of the University of Texas. Oh, okay. I think it would well. be so awesome that Texas came in, poached their coach, and Texas loses in the first round, and Tech goes and wins a natty. And Texas will lose in the first round. I hope they do. Who do they have? Virginia Tech. Yeah, that's right. The, yeah, that's a, a, that's a Virginia loss. Tech team. So highly unlikely, but there you go. I the same thing happens with me every year. I fill out a bracket, and by the end of it, all I've done, and not even trying to, I just chalk all the way through. So I just, I don't know, whatever. I tried to avoid that. I think I've got them playing Auburn in the national championship. Okay. Which I didn't want that either. I don't know. I don't know how I arrive. I I actually had to change it several times, but – well, uh, tonight we get treated to a contest between two of the teams that should not have made the NCAA tournament <laughs> in Notre Dame and Rutgers. Unbelievable. And the, uh, the Sooners kind of lit it up last night in the NIT, and I, I know I know the complaint is going to be, well, it's the NIT, no one cares. But uh, they yeah. they definitely looked like a team that had, a, uh, had more than a case for yeah. the NCAA tournament. Well, no one cares, and that's fine. Um Except for the only people that matter that care, and that's the team, and it looked like the team cared. And that is – that's really all you want. I thought it was great the way that they they showed up, they played, they had great energy, looked like they had a pretty decent crowd there as well. And I I liked it. I thought it was great. You, you mowed Gibson with 28 points yeah. in the victory for the Sooners. Like – <laughs> Who's the kid from Missouri? Was it Mosley? Isaiah Mosley. Good yes. player. Yes, he can ball. And Let's that, recruit him somehow. Does he have any eligibility left? Yeah, I mean, hey, it's guys like that, it's right? Tamper. The mid-major superstars that are portal bound if they're not moving on to the NBA. I and they got eligibility tamper. left. <laughs> tamper away. But no, like, I, I was sitting there last night after the OU game ended. And I'm watching Indiana and Wyoming, and I don't know how much, if any, of that game you caught, but I'm sitting there watching that absolute snooze fest of a contest, and I'm like, are, are we serious right now? These are the teams that the selection committee decided were worthy of a mm-hmm. tournament berth? Because yeah. it was such bad basketball. And you know it's going to be bad basketball again when Notre Dame and Rutgers, for the life of me, I do not know how Rutgers got into this tournament with their resume. No idea. It's going to be the exact same thing when those two teams play tonight. It is. um, Nothing you can do about it now. We should have got in. We didn't. What's the next best thing you can do? Go win the NIT and be the 69th best team in the country. I say we do that. It'll be awesome. I'm for hanging a banner as well, as long as it says 69th, 69th best team. Um, I, the way Oklahoma approached it, way better than the way Texas A&M approached it. Which, hey, I'm with you, Texas A&M. You should have been in. You had a better claim to it than than Oklahoma did even. Should have been in, but... To to say and have the attitude and mentality of, 
what we saw from Buzz Williams is just, it's frankly pathetic, right? Some of the stuff he said. I, he kind of popped off, man. Yeah. He was he was laying it all out there. And I get it. You're going to bat for your team. And there's something to be said about that. But there's also something to be said about not whining and complaining and I let the fans do that, right? Let and they will. Let the fans and people that aren't a um, a figurehead for the university and a leader in a locker room for a team, let the other people do that. You take the role of uh, just watch Porter Moser and use it as a lesson. Use it as a a moment to to pull the team together and go out and finish the the season in a nice way instead of whining and complaining and moaning. There's plenty of that to go along and you're not changing anything next year. The committee isn't going to say, Hey, remember last year, Texas A&M didn't get in and Buzz Williams was all upset. We better give them the benefit of the doubt this year. You're not changing anything. You just, it ends up not looking great for you in the position that you're in. Okay. It's look- something that I would do. And <laughs> right, it, I say this all the time. I would suck as a head coach because stuff like that, that's something that I would do as a head coach. And that's not what you should do. So looking ahead to next season for Oklahoma, you lose Jordan Goldwire, you lose Ethan Shagwa, you lose Marvin Johnson. Everybody else is eligible to return. And Obviously, you're going to get a portal casualty or two because it happens to everybody. I think a lot of folks have put a red eye on Rick Asanza as maybe the most likely guy to bounce for the portal, seeing right. as how he was in the portal last offseason and just didn't really touch the floor much at all this season for Porter Moser and his crew. But in year two, what are your expectations, all other variables, all other variables aside, if you replace Goldwire, Shagwa, and Marvin Johnson with the three guys you got signed in, Benny Schroeder, Otega Uwe, and Milos Uzan. You'll have to tell me because I don't know anything about those three guys that they have I signed. don't know much about them either. I just I, From what I've seen on Uwe and Uzan, those boys can score. It's now, supposed to be some good players, and, and I've kind of heard the same thing. What is uh, one of them like a 6'4 point guard? Yes, Uzan. Well, Uzan and Uwe are both combo guards. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, I don't know. I, I, I think that it, it's really hard to say. I think they'll be better than they were this year. Um, they almost have to be, don't they? Because there was such an element of chance involved with all of those outcomes of the one possession games. Because, right. you know, you think about the loss to TCU at Schulmeyer Arena or the loss to Texas at home. Kansas. The Kansas game where Christian Brown buried the three from the yep. wing to beat you. There were so many of those games that were this close to going your way. And I think that's going to regress to the mean next year. And maybe that doesn't result in seven or eight more wins for Oklahoma, but it might get you two or three. Right, And that would have been big this year in terms of your tournament resume. You know, they didn't really – this year they didn't win any of the games that they shouldn't have won. Some of those close ones, like if you beat Kansas in that game, um, with the type of team we were – like that's a game that we shouldn't win. 
But we didn't have we didn't mark any of those. I mean, maybe you could argue the Iowa State game at home whenever they were ranked uh, 11 in the country. I feel like that Iowa State team, but they ended up falling back pretty sharply, right? They did. Um, so I don't I don't even classify that as as winning a game that you shouldn't have won. They won all of the games that they were supposed to win except for the Oklahoma State at Oklahoma State. Now, you could argue rivalry game on the road. Maybe that's not one necessarily that you just easily uh, throw down a W, but they definitely should have had a better chance than than what that game ended up. So I think a lot of those, I think they'll start to win some of those 50-50 type of games. And it doesn't necessarily have to be against Kansas, but like a Texas, right? Or a like a TCU this year. TCU uh, was a good basketball team, but I mean, you should be able to split with TCU, win at home, and you know, drop one on the road if not win both of those games. So I think some of that stuff you you should be able to see a turnaround. Follow up question. The one player you're highest on heading into next season, who do you think becomes a difference difference maker for this program next year? I don't know, because you lose you lose Goldwire, you lose Shagwall. Who else is gone? Marvin Johnson's the only other one that's gone for sure. It's got to be Jalen Hill, doesn't it? <laughs> He's made some strides, man. Isn't He's looked really good at times. Isn't year. that who it's got to be? Who or one of the young guys that I, would, I, see, that I can't? I have nothing to go on. Yeah. See, my I I really like C.J. Nolan's game, okay. and I think were it not for a couple of injury issues that he was dealing with throughout the season, he probably would have gotten a lot more run than he did. And that's a dude that can slash with proficiency. He can spot up from beyond the arc, and I think he's due for a significantly expanded role in year two. You may be right about that. But Jalen Hill, I, I'd agree. That's right. a guy that if you look at the growth that he showed from his sophomore year to his junior year, if he can take another leap of that ilk heading into his senior season, he's going to do some special things for this program. We, we, we got it. Like, with C.J. Nolan, like you were talking about, we, we have to have an on-ball offensive guy that – when things have – because there was a bunch of games this year where we go on extended droughts where we just cannot – we cannot get any points. we got to have a guy that's able to say, we've gone cold, I'm getting to the rim and either getting a layup, a dunk, or going to the foul line. And we just don't – we didn't we haven't had anyone like that. No. that That's how you end some of those scoring droughts and – we end up just passing it around on the perimeter, don't, aren't able to, to find any penetration anyway with movement, and we settle for a long, bad jumper and not a great shooting team. So uh, hopefully one of those young guys, those combo guards, are, are going to be able to you know, put it on the floor and get to the rim. How much better would this team have been if Austin Reeves had chosen to stick around another year? Because he was that guy. Like, he was that guy that would go get you a He bucket. was that guy to a fault, though. You know what I'm saying? At but, times, but yes. You're you're right. I mean, he's he I think he's he I think he was better at getting to the rim than maybe even he thought himself, and he settled for a bunch of bad long threes. Like 
wow type of threes instead of trying to go create. But no, uh, yeah, he he definitely would have helped for sure. But I don't know, man. I hopefully some of those young guys uh, give you a bit of a boost. You got to make the tournament next year. Have to. Yeah, you have to. Have to. And with how close you got this year. Anything that doesn't equal a tournament berth next year is a step in the wrong direction. And Absolutely. I don't think that's what's going to happen. It's definitely not what you want to see for Porter Moser based on the momentum that it feels like this program has heading into year two. So, yes, I would agree. Next year, I, I know it's weird in year two to already be calling it a must-win year in terms of getting to the NCAA tournament, but that's really what it's going to be. Well, in and- I know there there may be some people out there that are doubting the hire whenever they didn't make the tournament, but I think all things considered, with the pieces that he ended up having to put together, the team that he had to assemble, and the fact that they were just right there knocking on the door to be in, one more win somewhere on the schedule would have no doubt put them in. I, I think you have to you, – you, it's not a success. I'm not saying it's a success – but it's not a reason to question the hire. So, yeah. all right, quick timeout, couple of segments left. Stay tuned. All right, we're winding down here on the rush. Parker Thune and Teddy Lehman. All right, Teddy, who's going to be the giant slayer tomorrow? Because you know we're going to be sitting here in the studio watching four different games at once as we do the show tomorrow. And we're going to be watching as some absurdly high seed. Takes down one of the giants in college basketball. Um, who's it going to be? Who's Duke play? Duke plays uh, Cal State Fullerton, I want to say. I don't love that one, but I think Duke's going to be an early exit. Um, Texas to Virginia Tech, that's a six versus what, 11. That's not that big. Um Hmm. I don't know. You on the Vermont bandwagon? Know nothing about them. I know that one is gaining some steam. I have them in the Sweet 16. Okay. Uh, Kentucky, they're not going to go down. I think a lot of these, like I have Duke losing in the second round. Uh, to Michigan State. Oh, or, Izzo's ending it for Coach K, huh? Or, or maybe it's uh, it's Davidson beats Michigan State, who's who's struggled this year. Which there's starting to be some hints that maybe Coach K's not done after all, pulling a Tom oh, Brady. Oh boy! I saw a couple of those reports today. I don't know if there's if there's any truth to them or not, but I don't know. These are always hard for me to forecast. I would love to see Kansas go down, um, but. I don't see that being the case, at least not in the first round. So, You want to know what's interesting is Bryant plays in a first four game tonight against Wright State. If they win that, they'll match up with one seed Arizona. Bryant has the nation's leading scorer, Peter Kiss, averaging averaging north of 25 points per game. So, you know, for those abnormally high seeds that end up – doing the abnormal and pulling off a stunning upset victory. Yeah. It's generally one guy. You know, it's generally mm-hmm. that one star that elevates his team with a performance for the ages, whether it's CJ McCollum at Lehigh in twenty twelve, I believe that was. Right. Against Duke. 
or think about Ali Farouk Manesh back in the day for Northern Iowa. Peter Kiss might be that guy for Brian. Peter Kiss. It does sound like a name that could trend. I know, doesn't it? It 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 is is tailor-made for Twitter trending. Tailor-made for Twitter trending. How about, like, Wisconsin? They're a three-seed. I don't know anything about Colgate, but uh, like the the Big Ten got a ton of teams in. But how how good really is Wisconsin? I think Wisconsin is probably next to Iowa the best team in the Big Ten. Wisconsin and Iowa are the two Big Ten teams that I can foresee making a deep run. Right. Obviously, Rutgers is not going anywhere. Now, um, I, I really I would not mind the. The Vermont over Arkansas game at all. That- now, you brought up Colgate, and what a lot of people will forget, because Arkansas made that run to the Elite Eight last year, knocking off the Cinderella and Oral Roberts along the way. But Arkansas very nearly lost in the first round to Colgate, which was a 14 seed last year. And yeah. so now they're in the same position this year against Wisconsin. Our, uh, now, I don't know anything about Norfolk State, but... Baylor just hasn't seemed right in a long time. No, I, I got them going down in the round of 32, man. Yeah. I don't think they're getting past Carolina. Yeah, they it, they just they don't seem right. Now, a team that's your defending champion, I could see like maybe a lack of motivation before you get to the dance and kind of saving it all for this run. It's kind of weird to say that a team that's a one seed hasn't felt Right, like they haven't been playing great. I, I mean, know, they're it? a one seed, but I, for whatever reason, I felt that way. And they've had some injury issues and stuff. But yeah, Baylor. It wouldn't shock me if Baylor went down early. I, you know, just haven't haven't seen the fight from them. What's I think what's exciting about this year with regard to March Madness and what excites me about the tournament that officially tips off tomorrow. Peter Kiss. Excite well, you about the other uh, besides Peter Kiss. Uh, <laughs> what excites me is there doesn't really seem to be like a clear top tier, you know, because last year it was Baylor and Gonzaga and then everybody else, and right. everybody kind of figured, okay, we'll get Baylor Gonzaga in the national championship, and that's exactly what we got. This year, even those one seeds, man, are very vulnerable, right? Like. There's a very good chance Baylor goes down in the round of 32. Kansas, a little bit of a history there. Yeah, if Kansas ends up matched up with Creighton in the round of 32, Creighton's a team that just blew through the Big East tournament. They could give Kansas some problems. I think Houston is going to be the team that ends it for Arizona in the Sweet 16. I've I've got Arizona losing to Houston. Um, it's crazy that, that Houston team is a five seed too, because if you look at their BPI ranking, they're number two in the country. Twenty nine and five Houston team, and obviously they uh, had a really nice year last year. So, huh? I don't know, man. I'm I'm fascinated by it. I I'm always way behind the curve. Don't watch a whole lot of college basketball. That's understandable. I don't. Um, I watch OU. I'll watch a handful of other Big 12 games. I'll catch some highlights of other stuff around the country here and there. Um, if I come across an interesting game, uh, you know, I may hang around for a little bit, but I'm not going to watch the entire thing. So I'm late to the party. I am like your, I am your 
quintessential March Madness fan, right? <laughs> Mr. Expert. Uh, this time next week, I'll know everything about everyone or supposedly uh, so, right? Anything that I've heard repeated. That, that's about how deep my knowledge is. You know, is. every single year I convince myself that this is going to be the year that I pay attention to college basketball from the get-go and I'm tuned in all season. And then every year the exact same thing happens, which is it's mid to late January by mm -hmm. the time – I'm actually paying any attention to what's going on. It's hard. There's there's, there's football. I mean, let's, let's call it like it is. There's football. There's football. And with a 64-team a tournament, I, it's hard enough just to follow the Big 12, you know, and, and to try and keep up with the Big 12 to figure out what OU is going to do in the Big 12. How am I supposed to stick around and watch Gonzaga at midnight, you know, and, and – some of these other other teams, there's just there's way too much out there to really. Does anyone really know a lot about all of these teams other than telling me who their leading scorer is? Yeah, right? Peter Kiss. Peter Kiss. Peter Kiss. Ah, uh, that that's going to trend. I'm telling you, <laughs> who's he? Is he Wright he's, State? He, he's Bryant. Bryant. W okay. Watch him just pour in like fifty on Wright State tonight, and that's when the trend begins. Mm. The kiss of death. The kiss of death. Gotta love it. All right, quick timeout. More from the rush coming up. We got the final segment next. Stay tuned. Back to wrap it up here on the rush. Parker Thune, Teddy Lehman. Teddy, can you recall an off season where there have been this many dominoes at the quarterback position across the NFL? Because, no. Yeah. Not only are we talking about Baker Mayfield moving, Deshaun Watson moving, we've already seen Russell Wilson move. Matt Ryan could be on the move is the latest buzz I'm seeing. The Garaputo kid uh, <laughs> for the 49ers, possibly. Aaron Rodgers was thought for a time to maybe, maybe be on the move. Tom Brady retired and then came back out of retirement. Carson Wentz. Yeah, it's, it's been wild. It really is. And, you know, it's, it's ultimately incredibly important to have – uh, you know, the best possible quarterback at the position, but there is, you got a supply side issue, right? There's not a big supply of NFL quarterbacks that are game changers that can absolutely get it done. And a lot of times whenever you get those guys, it requires being God awful to, to get them in the first place. And then even great quarterbacks in terrible situations can never get over the hump. Like, I think Trevor Lawrence has every tool you could ever ask for in a franchise quarterback. But Jacksonville may be so bad that he's never able to, to reach anything, any level of anyone actually thinking that he's good. I've tried to tell people, and you know, a lot of people do get it, but typically everyone just points at the quarterback says he's god awful and you know he he's the reason that a team is you know won 3 or 4 games and sometimes that's true i'm not saying that it's not but sure. all situations are not equal every single team is set up differently every team has different offenses different um personnel there's just so many variables that there's a lot of really good football players, quarterbacks as well, that 
don't ever make it in the NFL because the situation just at that time doesn't fit, you know, and it's just kind of how it goes. And I think what's feeding the hysteria, <laughs> and at this point it is kind of hysteria because you saw the haul that the Seahawks got in exchange for Russell Wilson, and mm-hmm. there's about to be a similar haul doled out for Deshaun Watson. I think what's also feeding that is the fact that it's such a weak quarterback class this year in the yeah. draft. Like, there there are no game changers in that draft class. None. That we know of. Sometimes guys are late bloomers. They go to the right situation, and lo and behold, they turn into really good quarterback. I mean, Josh Allen, a lot of people did have the prediction that he was going to be uh, a really good NFL quarterback, but it was far from settled. He was like a 55% passer in college, had a huge arm. We knew that, but NFL requires a lot more than just a, a really strong arm, and you know he, he's really emerged. Uh, I would say a guy like uh, Justin Herbert has far exceeded people's expectations. I thought he was a good college quarterback. In the NFL, I was, I was pretty skeptical of how good he was going to be, but watching him, that dude is a stud. So you just never know. I mean, some guys you feel like is they're a can't-miss prospect, and it doesn't work out. Other guys, Russell Wilson gets taken in the third round, goes into a really good situation, and is able to grow and turn into a really good quarterback. So, I tell you what, one of the things I learned from the whole Kenny Pickett dialogue is that I certainly have big enough hands to be an NFL quarterback. <laughs> yeah, that, that was interesting. I, I think a lot of times that is way oversold, but – he has like this, some of the smallest hands they've ever measured at any position. I, like third smallest since 2001 or something like that. That's crazy. I mean, hey, he, he throws a fine ball. There you go. All right, that's it for us. It was fun, man. Um, yes, it was. We'll, we'll be do doing it, it the rest of the week. So uh, we appreciate you guys. Thanks for hitting the text line. Keep it up. You guys push the show. We love it. Thank you to Pacifico. Go have a cold one.